This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. 20 years ago, at what she thought was the height of her career, Virginia Jacko was diagnosed with a condition that caused her to gradually become blind. She then went to the Miami Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired to learn how to thrive and live independently as a blind person. Well, now Virginia is not only thriving in her life there, but she serves as the president and CEO of that organization. At the Miami Lighthouse, Virginia provides education, training, research, and vision enhancement to people of all ages. In a digitally dependent world, she and her IT team, also all visually impaired, provide counsel to organizations to ensure that their websites are inclusive and ADA compliant. In fact, she has been such a positive advocate for the visually impaired to the point where President Biden's team has revamped the WhiteHouse.gov site to make it more inclusive and ADA compliant. She has grown the Miami Lighthouse from having 500 clients to 25,000 clients annually. You're going to really enjoy today's show. I also wanted to mention that I have an updated website so that you can more easily access all of my past interviews from this one, of course, to my first one many years ago. Also on the website, if you'd like to become part of the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community, you can subscribe there. Just click on the word subscribe at the top right-hand side of the website. That will take you to the page where you can just put your name in, your email. It's really easy, and we'd love to have you part of the community. Well, thanks again for listening. Now on to the show. Well, Virginia, it's great to have you on the show. You are quite the inspiration, you know, from helping those who are visually impaired to advising presidents. Your story and your work has inspired thousands. Well, thanks for taking time to be on the show today. Let's start out by giving us a quick summary of your work with the Miami Lighthouse for the Blind. And why are you so passionate about what you do? Let me begin with my passion. Too often the blind are overlooked. If I talk to a large employer and they say, oh, we're emphasizing diversity, equity, and inclusion in the hiring process. And when I say, and what about people with a disability? They say, oh, that's very important. And then when I say, and how many visually impaired people have you recently hired? And I hear a dead silence. And that is unfortunate because I am totally blind. And because of the training I personally received at Miami Lighthouse when I lost my eyes about 20 years ago, I am a very successful CEO. I can read a balance sheet as well as my CFO. I can even tell him where he's got errors. I laugh about that, so a little humor there. Imagine a blind person telling the CFO where they have errors on their balance sheet. Hey, that's pretty so, good. That's I'm impressed. <laughs> So technology levels the playing field for the blind and visually impaired. As long as technology is not with barriers. Barriers mean that a blind person is using screen reading software and is that software is looking for text. 
So if, for example, the website had a logo at the beginning, a logo is just a picture. Behind that logo, there needs to be text like Miami Lighthouse logo. But when there are images and those images are just a picture or for the campaign, when I recognized here in Miami that, you know, there was going to be a debate, regardless of party, I went to everyone's website. They talked about diversity and inclusion and emphasis on people with disabilities, but not a single candidate had a website that was accessible. So I got in touch with the chief information officer of most of the campaigns, and five of them got back with us. And just to make this a little quicker, what a thrill. And, and this has nothing to do with politics, but it was the Biden administration on Inauguration Day that in the New York Times, they featured the accessibility importance of WhiteHouse.gov. And they talked about that there was a way for the viewer looking at the monitor to have better contrast, to increase the size of the font. And that was the approach I took with the candidates. You're missing out not only on legally blind people, but seniors that are affected by vision loss, as one out of five seniors will have uncorrectable vision loss, and they're your voters. And if they can't change the contrast or the font size, they just won't read what is on your website regarding your policies. And that truly made a difference. Well, I'm so impressed that here you are making changes all the way up to the point of the president of the United States. It's surely well done. Um, And one of the things you have said along the way, and I 100% agree with you, is this powerful statement. So that website accessibility is the wheelchair ramp of today. And I think you're so right on this. Now, why has this been so slow for people to update their website accessibility to make them more ADA compliant? I believe it was easier when we did business with brick and mortar and someone with a wheelchair could not access that business. They couldn't get up the steps. So we have ramps. We have ramps at intersections. It's a little harder for the sighted community to even comprehend that a blind person is a computer user. I feel like people that are a bit older, more my age, might be more inclined to understand. Before we did point and clicking, we typed with keystroke commands. It was called WordStar or WordPerfect. This current generation is used to, um, especially the young ones, they're using uh, an iPod or an iPad and they're just clicking with their fingers but not typing on a keyboard. So the software that the blind and vision impaired use, you need to have a keyboard and you're going to use keystroke commands to interface with the monitor. Unless someone actually witnesses it, Uh, I don't know that they can think about, but the person's blind. How can they use a computer? I also think that some people think that a vision impaired person can't use an iPhone, but we train people here how to use an iPhone. Technology can be the visually impaired person's best friend as long as it's properly designed, but the legislation 
is not there. There are a lot of lawsuits, but it's just very difficult, I believe, for the sighted community because it's not as visual as a person in a wheelchair that is not able to get up the steps. That makes sense. And I I totally agree. I think it's for those who don't even think about that. They're so used to using the web or an iPhone. You're right. I don't think people stop and think, well, what would it be like if someone who is visually impaired to access these things? So I think a lot of us have a lot of work to do when it comes to our nonprofit websites, making sure they're ADA compliant. Well, this is a leadership podcast and you obviously have a lot of leadership experience. I would love to ask you about your leadership and how you've become so so successful over the years. So first of all, one of the things I want to start by asking is, how do you cast a clear and bold vision, calling your team to a higher level commitment on the one hand, while at the same time coming alongside each of your staff to make sure they still have the encouragement and the support they need to complete their daily tasks? How do you balance those two roles of leadership that some believe can often interfere with each other? For the organization to have a clear vision statement, is very important for the organization to celebrate success. And, you know, we're located here in Miami in Little Havana. And when we have a success, you know, we go down to the Cuban bakery and we get coffee, con leche and pastelitos. That's a way to celebrate because everybody loves the Cuban coffee and the incredible pastries, which are pastelitos. So whether it's guava or cheese or whatever it might be, celebrating success encourages people to work hard. And that is why Charity Navigator, in the last couple of years, we've received an absolutely perfect score. Charity Navigator has new parameters that just came out on leadership and adaptability. And in all of those parameters, we received a perfect score. There are far less than 100 nonprofits in this United States that has done that recently. And we received the highest ranking for stars for 12 years in a row. Congratulations. Um, That's a big deal. That demonstrates that, you know, our team is efficient, effective, transparent, and, you know, has the financial strength to be around for quite a while. Love that. No, well done. Congratulations. That's a big deal. I know I'm a leader of a nonprofit as well, and that is really important. Such an endorsement when someone like Charity Navigator gives you a perfect score. Like that is really, really exemplary. So well done. Congratulations. Another thing that I would like to talk about is leadership training, and specifically when it comes to esteeming other people's perspectives and and really recognizing the dignity of everyone's worth, number one, and also valuing everybody on your team. How do you go about doing that? And what have been some some of the most successful ways you've gone about that with your staff? Well, we value the team. We have 105 employees and it ranges from hourly people to salaried people. And as we all know right now, very difficult to get hourly people, but we need to celebrate. We need to recognize success. We need to provide continuing education, whether we're talking about providing training for a driver to ensure that they have, you know, the Red Cross seal for, you know, when they have a child on their van and they have an incident, they know how to work with that child. 
when it has to do with our children's specialists getting the certifications they need. But once they get the certification, including our licensed teachers, to celebrate that they passed that exam, that they completed a certain training program. And so the other thing that is important, we were so blessed that TD Bank got us a PPP loan. And that meant that when there was the shutdown here in Florida, every single employee kept their job. We have about 12 drivers because we transport all of our clients, ranging from one-year-olds to 101-year-olds. But when the doors were closed, there was no transportation. But keeping all of these drivers employed was very important. So the fact that a bank here that we use reached out to us and we had the opportunity of the Payroll Protection Act was very significant. And so these employees continued with us. We'll be right back. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I want to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. Now, finally, if you want to get my monthly email update that contains more resources in addition to these episodes, it's really easy. Just go to my website at nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and simply type your email address in the top right-hand box, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. And this way, you'll never miss any of the interviews or extra content from this show. And if you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email me. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. I really, no, well done. I really appreciate you sharing that as an example. And one other thing I want to talk about when it comes to leadership is now for better, or for worse, or if you agree with it or not, uh, many people complain that there seems to be a real lack of leadership when it comes to our government leaders. Now, I believe that nonprofits ought to really work closely with government leaders in order to meet the biggest needs that are facing our communities. And I know you have the same approach in the sense you work quite a bit with government in order to make sure, again, you're serving uh, your community well. If you believe this is true, why do you think that's the case? And what is missing regarding leadership in the political realm? We use the Florida Department of Health, the Florida Department of Education, the Florida Division of Blind Services, the Florida Department of Transportation as an important element on the revenue side of our operating budget. About 30% of my operating budget does come from government resources that requires being in Tallahassee and having elected officials understand our mission. I think sometimes there is a lack of understanding. If we talk about the federal level, I also think there are times that elected officials are so worried about being reelected that Decisions they make might be selfish. 
rather than what is truly best for their constituents. And they maybe won't be reelected because if they're selfish about, you know, what they want to see happen rather than what the constituents need, there's a little dysfunction there. Very helpful. No, I like that. And it seems like you do quite a bit of work then with, well, obviously you have the services for the clients you serve, but it also appears that you work very closely with county councils, I'm assuming, your local mayor. Tell us a little bit more about your relationship with some of those local officials that you work with to in order to accomplish your mission. Well, we just built during COVID a five-story, 30,000 square foot classroom and the shovels were in the ground in uh, November, a little more than a year ago. Now we're in December already, can you imagine? And in August, which would have been 10 months later, we had our ribbon cutting. So in order, <laughs> during COVID, to be able to build from the point of shovels in the ground to ribbon cutting, that required significant interaction with the building department, with the mayor, both city and county mayors, and keeping them abreast of if we don't have these classrooms, we will not have a second grade for blind children because we're at capacity. One time I even had to say, do you want to help me phone the parents of the second graders that aren't going to be able to attend our school and explain to them why we didn't have the classroom space, that's going to be a very difficult call. Well, I don't want to be on that phone call. So expediting the permitting process was extremely important. And I'm delighted to say City of Harris Suarez, as well as the county government officials and the county commissioners and the building department, we're extremely collaborative. And that is all about relationships. And to have a building dedication and to have the fire marshal, the chief of police, the mayors, county commissioners attending, that's all about relationships. And for nonprofits, those relationships are extremely important. Well, you said something super profound relationships, relationships, relationships. Truly, it comes down to that, right? Whether it be donors or working with local leaders to get things done and accomplish your mission and really meet the needs of the community. It all, it's all about relationships. So well done. And you're absolutely right. I could not agree with you more. All right. So moving on to some of the big issues that we're facing as a world, certainly as our country and then in our communities, you're addressing some of the biggest ones, right? With people visually impaired and other things that come with that. One of the things that I believe that we have to do if we're going to be successful in addressing and hopefully solving some of the biggest challenges of today. We as leaders need to be willing to change our styles or methods of leadership as needed. Now, first of all, do you agree with that? And if so, what are the most important leadership methods it takes to bring about these social changes in your opinion? Do you know what the platinum rule is? Platinum rule is treat others the way they need to be treated. And that lesson is so important. You know, the golden rule was treat others the way I want to be treated. But it's more than that because people are different. And people's backgrounds are different. Just how people are wired is different. 
You know, some people are extremely empathetic. Other people are driven without having any empathy. And it is really important that people be treated the way they need to be treated. I use personalysis in hiring uh, new people to make certain that they do have no blind spots in terms of what's required for the job regarding uh, the personalysis for colors that are very important that a person be well-balanced and that they're able to treat people the way those people they interact with need to be treated. Well said. I really like that. I think that's a great way. I like the platinum rule to add to the golden rule. I think that's wonderful. Well, you've led a lot of different organizations. You've had a lot of experience. What, in your opinion, are the top three traits you look for in your staff when it comes to leadership traits? So, number one, because we just talked about it, are they able to treat people the way they need to be treated? Or are their feet kind of in concrete? Now, I say this relating to a personality. So that's number one. Number two, will they have love of mission? Love of mission is so important, especially when you're interacting with 90% of the people we serve reside in a poverty zone in Miami-Dade County, by which HUD defines that zip code as a poverty zone. In addition, Some people might be totally blind. Some people might have just low vision. So being able to interact based upon love of mission, parents of a blind baby. In our Blind Babies program, we have 145 parents. When our specialists go out into their home, when a mother said to me, my child at three months wasn't smiling at me. And when I said something to the ophthalmologist, and the ophthalmologist said, well, your child has cortical visual impairment. And the mother said, I asked, what is that? Will that change? Can my child learn? And that ophthalmologist said, look, ma'am, you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. And the same is true with cortical visual impairment. And that was so wrong because that child today once they found Miami Lighthouse at age two, now is as a second grader in our program, ready to go to third grade and be mainstreamed in the community school. Wow, fantastic. And then I feel like the besides love a mission, the third thing is that the person truly can be a member of the team. Because we have not only a variety of types of clients, but we also have a variety of different types of occupations. When you have 105 employees, not even counting summer seasonal employees for our six summer camps, you know, at the end of the day, we all are a team and we need to have people that are willing to, they want to be on the team, they want to be successful, and they want the entire organization to be successful. I love each one of those. Thank you for sharing those. I really can resonate with those uh, leadership traits. Okay, well, last question for you. What do you do to keep yourself sharp as a leader? What resources do you invest in? What podcasts are you listening to? Or what books are you reading? How do you keep yourself sharp as a leader? I like your podcast because I think nonprofit, uh, things are changing. 
And whether it's nonprofit world, I just went back and I looked at an article that I did in 2008, and then I think in 2010. And I went back and read that, and it had to do with board governance and leading change through the board. So it's very important to stay on top of what you're preaching and what your guests are saying regarding nonprofits. Because, for example, during COVID, how were people able to adjust? How were people able to adapt? And by talking with other nonprofits, whether it's through the chamber, whether it's through podcasts, we can learn a lot from each other. So I think the first step is to learn from each other. Secondly, it's very important to stay in tune not only with the community newspaper, but with the national newspapers. You know, what is the Wall Street Journal uh, focused on? I was proud to have about two or three different articles in the Wall Street Journal having to do with employing people with a vision disability and how technology can help. An article having to do with the concern about cortical visual impairment, which is the number one cause for pediatric visual disability. So staying current on what is it that is current in the media. You know, sometimes we don't like what we hear in the media, but it's very important that we understand what's going on. Love it. Good stuff. I like the idea of learning from each other. I think it's a really good trade in it. And thanks for the shout out for this podcast. I mean, ironically, that's partly why I started in the first place was because I, I just wanted to learn from other nonprofit leaders that are in the space, just like you, Virginia, that are really doing a good job, that are in the trenches, so to speak, making great differences in their community. And I do, I've learned tremendous amounts by just interviewing all these wonderful people like yourself. So I'm glad that that resonates with you as well. Well, I think people may want to find out a little bit more about you, about your organization. How best can they do that? Is there a way website they can go to, or how best could they connect with you and your organization? So our website is miamilighthouse.org. That's easy. My email is the, for my first name, Virginia, my last name, Jacko, so V-J-A-C-K-O at miamilighthouse.org. Our, my cell phone, I welcome phone calls because if I can, can grow from this opportunity and other people call me with suggestions, 786-897-7022. I am serious. Virginia, you are the first guest that's ever given their cell phone out. That is fantastic. So you may be getting a lot of calls, but I really appreciate that. That is a very kind of you. I look forward to it. That's fantastic. Well, Virginia, thank you so much for what you're doing. I love your heart. It's clear that you're doing this to really make a difference and you are making a, a huge difference and you're impacting so many lives. So thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for taking time to be on the show today. And I'll continue to listen to your podcast. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for your time again today. Thank you. Hey friends, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on both iTunes and Spotify. If you're wondering how to find it, just type in the words Nonprofit Leadership Podcast and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast and your feedback will help expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as possible. You can also find other resources and interviews of past guests on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Again, that website is non nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. 
Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.